So the book of Acts is the story of how the church began. It's the follow-up to the four Gospels, like we've been talking about. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, the account of Jesus. And then Luke writes Acts, and it's the account of what happened after Jesus is resurrected and ascends to heaven, and the church begins. And so we've been going through this each week, looking at a little piece of each chapter, and I encourage you to read along with us uh, because there's so many interesting things in the book of Acts, and really we can only cover a little sliver of it. Uh, And I was telling Al this morning, it's been exciting because I think we can all see different perspectives of what's going on uh, as we look at each chapter. But today we're going to hit Acts chapter 8, and as we do this, The church is hitting this amazing time where it's thriving and growing and lives are literally being changed and miracles are happening and it's beyond explanation as the church continues to grow. And it's something not just that people are talking about in theory, but it's tangible and it's visible and it's undeniable what God is doing in the church through people who call themselves Christians, through people who are taking a step of faith and risking a lot to say, I want to follow after this message that Jesus has given us. But as the church is growing and as it's spreading, it's not without a cost. Because there's people who aren't real fond of the idea of what's happening. And it goes all the way back to Jesus, if we go back to the Gospels. Because as Jesus is sharing this revolutionary message about the love of God and the power of God. And people are seeing God move and interact in people's lives, not just as a religion that's out there and I can try to be good enough and get there, but God himself reaching out to us. As Jesus is sharing this message, it begins to upset those who are in authority because they've got a good thing going. They're in control. They're in power. Those who are the religious elite or even the political elite. And this message that Jesus is sharing all of a sudden is shaking things up. So they have him crucified. But then, of course, he rises from the dead and he gets his apostles together and the disciples and says, now you go and I want you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then they take on the challenge. And then so now you've got apostles who are going out and they're sharing this message and God is working through them and meeting people like you and me right where we're at And all of a sudden they say, this message hasn't stopped. And so we need to do whatever we can to stop it from continuing. So they have Peter and they have John arrested and they release them from jail because there's really no reason to arrest them. But they tell them, don't do this anymore. But it's not stopping. What God is doing through people like you and me in the church as they gather together just keeps going. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger like a snowball going down the mountain. It just keeps gaining momentum. So finally, last week in Acts chapter 7, we reach a point where they say, we've got to make a statement. Those who are in power, the religious elite, they're saying, we have got to make an example out of someone to get these people to stop. And so there's one particular man named Stephen. And Stephen, for whatever reason, we see every time he's mentioned, he's got a descriptor after his name. It's Stephen a man full of the Holy Spirit, or a man full of grace and power. For whatever reason, Stephen lived life in such a way that it was just the characteristic that he was known by. I mean, can you imagine if you were known by your first name and your most common characteristic, right? I mean, we'd probably be in a lot of trouble, some of us. But that was Stephen here. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. So they say, that's our guy. 
because there's something different about that guy. So let's make an example out of him. So they put him on a false trial with false news and they have him executed in front of everybody just to give you all a warning to say it is not worth it for you to follow Jesus. You may think this is neat and the power of God is moving and all that sort of stuff, but we're going to put an end to it right here and right now. Who wants to be next? Who wants to be like Stephen? So this is the message that was sent to the church. You can try to follow Jesus, but it's not going to come without a great cost. They made an example out of Stephen. And that leads us to Acts chapter 8, where we're at today. Chapter 7 concludes like an episode of a great TV series that leaves you on the edge of your seat going, oh my goodness, they just killed this guy to be continued next week. And here we are at Acts chapter 8. As we get into Acts chapter 8, today I want to introduce you to four people that appear in Acts chapter 8 as we start going through this chapter. And what I love about this is you're going to find yourself, you're going to find common ground with some of the people that we're going to see in Acts chapter 8 today. We're going to see a guy who was totally anti-Christianity. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. <clears throat> he wanted to stop it at whatever means necessary, and he was resisting it. And you may have found yourself at that point in some place in your life, or you may be there now, where you're just saying, I really don't want to have anything to do with Christians or this message of Christianity. We're also going to see people who are seekers, who are trying to find God, who are looking for God, and we're going to see people who are Christians, who are following after God with all of their heart. So we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1, but the first person I want to introduce you to is this man. This is Saul. If you could put the first picture up there for us. Now you may be thinking, Adam, how in the world did you get Saul's picture? That was so long ago. Well, we, we've got an ace team back there working at the screens for us, and I challenged them. I said, Owen, I want you to dig through the archives of history and find pictures of these people. So I'm assuming he found a legitimate picture. This could actually be from a movie, or it could actually be Saul. But just for reference sake, this is Saul. This is the guy we're looking at today. Now, this is a man who was very religious, who was very powerful in religious circles and political circles. He's very educated He carries a lot of power. We'll see that in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. In other words, he's there when he's about to be executed, and he's one of the guys that says, do it. Go ahead and throw the rocks. And they stone him to death. Then it continues, persecution scatters the believers. A great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You remember that challenge we had in Acts chapter 1? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It's been there up until this point, and now they're scattered to Judea and Samaria. But what we see here at the call of Saul is Operation Persecution is now in full effect. Saul's coming in basically like the godfather. And he's calling hits. And he's saying, stop those people, stop those people, stop those people. This is the power and the influence that Saul had. Let's see as it continues in in verse 3. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women 
to throw them in prison. In other words, Saul's motive was, I will find you. If you are following Jesus, I don't care if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're a child. I don't care if you're in your house or if you're meeting in a synagogue. I will find you. And if you are following Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, I will have you thrown in prison and we'll just see what happens when you get there. This is pretty intimidating, right? I mean, this isn't something that you and I face. And a lot of times we can take this freedom that we have for granted, where we can just show up to church, we can hear the Word of God. But this is what these believers were facing. Can you imagine so much being on the line where you realize, I really believe this message that was taught, and I've seen things that I can't even explain, but for me to continue to follow Christ, it may mean the end of my life. It may mean that I am separated from my family. It may mean that I have to go to prison. That's what these guys were facing, these early Christians. For them to follow Jesus, it was a reality that there was a high price that had to be paid. But these people thought it was worth it. Can you imagine something so powerful that you would say, I don't care if it costs me my life. I don't care if I go to prison. I don't care what it means. I know these people are looking for us, but I have to have Jesus. I have to follow Jesus. As we look at persecution in the church, I think we would be remiss not to put it in perspective because this great price still happens today. And uh, in our lives, it can, it can look like something, you know, somebody, somebody calls us a name or somebody's rude to us or somebody unfriends us on social media because we're following Christ or we put a scripture up on our, our page or whatever it was. And I'm not, I'm not trying to lighten that because that can hurt. I've seen things like that in my life. I've seen that happen to my kids, and it does hurt. But I want you to have the perspective in the world at large today. It's an even bigger picture than that. What we see happening in the book of Acts, this terror, still happens today. Uh, we had a family here at Rock Hills that uh, stepped out into the mission field a few years ago. Some of you may know the Werps. But I asked Malachi if he could give us a little perspective on what this looks like in the world today. So we've got a little message from Malachi. There certainly is a cost to our faith. For us to follow Jesus, whether we're across the world or we're right here in San Antonio, there's a cost to that. And I wanted you guys to see that because part of uh, one of the missions we support as Rock Hills Church, when you give, you're supporting Center for Missions for Mobilization, and uh, we support Nain through that indirectly. Um, But... I want to thank you guys for giving because it truly does make a difference. Malachi did share with me, just uh, BTW, that Nain is going to be going to a training uh, in December. And he said, if anybody from Rock Hills wants to help him get to that training, uh, we could use some to do that. So if anybody's interested in helping Nain get to that training, you can see me afterwards, and I'll be happy to let you know how you can do that. But here's another slide for us. You can go ahead and put that up there, Owen. Each month. 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 um, have their properties destroyed. 722 each month, some form of violence is committed against them. And so this is a reality in our world, uh, around the world. In our lives here in American culture, it often looks as rejection, and uh, which still hurts in a different way, not physically, but emotionally sometimes. But I wanted you guys to have a visual of that. When Saul shows up and he's knocking on people's doors, he's looking for people who are guilty 
of following Christ, which makes me ask myself the question, am I guilty of following Christ? If we're to look at your life, would we say you are guilty of following Christ, or is this just kind of something we have going on in our lives, but we aren't guilty of that? But watch what happened in verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere that they went. So these believers scatter, but the message continues and the church continues to grow. And we still do that today. We gather here on Sunday morning and then we scatter throughout the community. The next person I want you to meet is a man named Philip. Here he is. Philip is a guy who was by Stephen's side, the guy who was just killed in Acts chapter 7. He was a man who walked with Jesus. He understood that if I'm going to follow Jesus, that there is a great cost to this, but it is certainly worth it. As the believers scatter, Philip is, is willing to say, God, I'll go wherever you want to send me. I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I'll say whatever you want me to say. We see this throughout the chapter 8 of the book of Acts, that Philip has this, this heart. And Philip ends up going to Samaria which is a place where not many Jews would want to go. It's a place that had a bad reputation, and it's a place where most of them would want to avoid. You may remember the woman at the well. This was a scene where Jesus shows up in Samaria, and it's a place that most people wanted to avoid. But Philip knew this was a place that God had a heart for. So he said, God, if you send me there, that's where I go. In verse 5, it says, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there, about the Messiah. His message to them was the the message of God is for you. If you don't feel like you fit in, if you don't feel like you measure up, God's love and his power is still here to meet you. Because of this, because he was willing to go where most people wouldn't go, Philip was able to see a fruit that most people were not able to see, a result of God's power. In verse 6, it says this, crowds listened intently to Philip Because they were eager to hear the message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So the question there I have to ask myself and I have to ask you is, are we willing to go wherever God wants us to go and do whatever he wants us to do and say whatever he wants us to say and serve whoever he wants us to serve. I believe that if we live that way, I love verse 8, it says, so there was great joy in that city. I would love for it to be said, so there was great joy in the city of San Antonio because the people at Rock Hills were willing to say, God, whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want to do it, God, I want to do that. So following God comes at a great cost, but it's not a cost that can be bought, as we'll see And the third person that we want to meet, this is Simon. I think you found the wrong one, Owen. Can you try another Simon, maybe? That's Simon, right there. This is, just in time for Halloween, this is Simon the Sorcerer, all right? This guy had made a living and a lifetime by performing tricks in whatever way he did it to amaze people. He was a sorcerer. Listen to this. In verse 9, it says this about Simon. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one. 
the power of God. But now, all of a sudden, these believers are showing up in Samaria, and Simon, this sorcerer, is watching what's going on. And he's seeing what happens as God moves through these people. Watch what happens in verse 13. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went. Kind of creepy, but he did that. Followed Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip performed. But then watch what happens as we get to verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. So Simon is following the apostles around, and he's amazed at what's happened. And I kind of feel bad for the guy because he's watching what happens, and he believes even to the point where he said, I want to be baptized. I want to be a part of what's going on here. But as he's following and watching and stalking and observing, right, he notices something. It tells us in the text here, in the rest of the text, that the apostles would lay hands on the people and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. So Simon's watching that and he says, now that is a cool trick right there. You know, I've got this list of tricks that I've done, but that is a trick that I would really like. So uh, he takes out his wallet and he says, hey, how much, man? Let me give you some. Can you teach me how to do that? I would really like to know how to do that trick. I really want to know how to give people power like that. I want to know how to touch them and something happens, right? I've been a sorcerer, but I can't do that. Let me, let me give you some, some money. How much? Show me how to do that. At which, as you can imagine, Simon gets a pretty good rebuke from the apostles, basically saying, you don't understand. You don't get it. You don't understand what this is all about. So here's the deal. God is genuinely moving in Simon's heart to the point where he's interested and wants to be a part of it. But the problem comes in where really when it gets down to it, Simon is just wanting to add God to his list of tricks. Simon is wanting to add God like another app on his phone. Wow, this app can really do cool stuff. I want to add it to all the other apps that I have. And we can look at Simon and go, yeah, you missed it on that one, man. But as I look at myself, I have to say, what a guilty sinner am I? How much am I just like Simon the sorcerer because I've wanted to follow God and I've taken steps to say, okay, I want to be baptized. I want to be a part of the church and what God is doing. But many times I can be just like Simon where I'm bargaining. Have you ever done that? Where you say, okay, God, if you would just get me through this, I'm going to go to church every week. You know, God, if you would just help straighten this out in my life, you know, I'll I'll stop doing this or I'll start doing this. Simon was bargaining with God, and that doesn't work. Simon was trying to add God to his life. Maybe we do that too, right? You know, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person, and I'm good to my wife, and, you know, I'm trying to raise my kids right, and... So, you know, I'm going to start exercising. Okay, that's a good thing to add to my life. And I'm going to start adding some more religious stuff, right? I'll start reading the Bible. That's a good thing. I'll start going to church more often. Maybe I'll even start going to one of the rock groups or the Bible studies that we have at church. And we add God on to the life that we already have when really God all along is saying, no, 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 I'm not wanting you to add me to your life. I'm wanting to be everything 
in your life. And that's where Simon missed it. He wanted to add God onto his life rather than like these other Christians who left everything to say, God, now you are my life. So I have to ask you, are you a consumer like Simon? Is God, church, faith just something you add on to the life that you already have? Or are we like these other Christians who could say, God, I surrender it all to you? That's what we see as we get back to Philip at the end of the chapter. Because Philip is continuing his mentality of God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Whoever you want me to serve, I'll serve. So the next person I want you to see that Philip introduces us to is the Ethiopian. Now, we don't even know the Ethiopian's name. We just know a description of him and the position that he holds. Check this out in verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met a treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great power and authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran as he and Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come into his carriage and sit with him. To which I bet Philip was grateful because he was running alongside the carriage and now he got to sit down for a change. But here's Philip again saying, God, whatever it costs me, wherever you lead me. And God says, I want you to go to the desert, right? Somewhere where you wouldn't expect to go, but I need to send you out there because I have a divine appointment for you. And this appointment was with the Ethiopian. Now, this Ethiopian was not just an Ethiopian, as we see. He was a man of great power. Ethiopia at that time would have been a very powerful nation, and this was the man who controlled all the riches for the queen of Ethiopia. So he's a very powerful man. Nations came to them. We also see that he is a eunuch. And just a side note, He's a eunuch. If you don't know what that means, you can look it up later. But he is a eunuch because in order to serve the queen, you had to be completely free from any distractions or temptation. So this man paid a great price to be able to do what he does. Aren't you glad you didn't interview for that job, man, right? So here's this man who has tremendous power, tremendous ability, tremendous knowledge. We see that he's got resources to even be able to have a text of Isaiah. He's educated to be able to read it. And he is seeking God because he's gone to Jerusalem to pray. He's trying to find what all this is about, but he hasn't got the answers that he's looking for because as he leaves Jerusalem, he's still trying to figure it out. He's reading and here comes Philip at just the right time in just the right place, and he's able to meet with Philip and say, explain this to me. Do you have the answers that I am looking for? He is searching for God, and he is able to find God. Here's what I want to encourage you with that we see with the Ethiopian. If you're willing to trust God, I believe with all my heart, God will put you at the right place 
in the right time, oftentimes for reasons that you can't explain. You think, why in the world is my life going like this right now, God? Philip could have said, why in the world are you sending me to the desert? Not knowing at just the right time and just the right place, here comes the Ethiopian in a carriage. And now you just think of the ramifications of that. This powerful man now goes back to Ethiopia with the gospel in his heart and the message continues to spread. So I have to ask you, are you letting God lead you? Are you letting God tell you, where do I go? Who do I serve? What do I say? How do I love others? In verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down to the water and Philip baptized him. Philip and this Ethiopian, the right time in the right place because they trusted God. And then the message of the church continues. And I believe you and I, as the church, if we're willing to say, God, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to trust you. Lord, would you send me that the message of the church still continues today in and through us. And he marks his life by being changed with baptism. We do have, I just a side note here, a little commercial. We've got baptisms next week. If you are interested in being baptized to mark your life as being changed, please make sure you stop by our connection booth afterwards, our connecting table, and sign up on your info card just saying that you would like to be baptized next week. And we would love for you guys to celebrate in that with us. So as we go through Acts chapter 8, we see people who were rejecting Christians. You got to come back next week to see what happens there. We see people who are seeking after God, and we see people who are trusting God with all of their heart. What I want to encourage you about today is that God can meet you right where you are at, and God can use your life to change the lives of others. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us the opportunity not to add you on to our lives, but Father, to trade the life we have for the life you created us for. Father, as we sit here today, we realize that none of us are good enough. But Father, you chose to meet us right where we're at. And Father, today there may be some who need a new beginning for the first time or just to start over again, a fresh start. Lord, I with them would like to pray today and say thank you for sending us Jesus. Thank you that he died upon the cross for us, that we may be a new creation that we may have the new life that you offer to us. Father, thank you for the blood of Christ, which makes us new. Father, we want to give you all that we are to die to ourselves, that you may be alive in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.